other people were being reinstated, and I got frustrated. I mean, I was like waiting every single day, and it, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, just kind of letting this chat fill up a little bit. We can get started. No, it's been a long time. This is very cool. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a good turnout tonight. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, things happening in Washington that I think definitely reflect on our areas of interest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic. I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk about this concession that was being pushed back and forth, and obviously, Congressman Massey was on Tucker last night, and they, you know, they're referencing this church committee, and obviously, I mean, the first concern is that it's it's just a name, right? Oh, they're just throwing it out there because they want to have that sense of legitimacy about it, but. Um, you know, at the same time, there's so much that the FBI and the other government agencies have done wrong. And it's understandable that, you know, we might want to take a look at some of that, whether it's the targeting of, you know, parents that spoke up at school boards or, um, you know, some of the other issues that are out there. But obviously, in this corner of Twitter, our focus has been Russiagate. And that's really, I think, where all of our hopes are um, that Congress is going to take a look at some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think if you look at this from a, uh, you know, 3000 foot point of view, um, there's some really positive indications out there that uh, things can happen now. And some of it, I, I understand that people are, you know, disappointed and it's been so long. It's been years and statutes of limitations have potentially passed and all these things. But um, I, I see uh, Stevens here and he said from the beginning, hey, look, you know, we need to focus on getting the truth out. That's the most important thing because getting people prosecuted, getting people arrested and jailed is just, you know, the stuff we're talking about, you know, it, it probably was to some extent, uh, you know, a, a, a bridge too far. And maybe some people still will, you know, maybe there st- still are some prosecutions, maybe some big ones. We don't know. Durham's still out there. There's, there's other possibilities, but I do think that the, the opportunity to get the truth out so that people know and future generations can look back and go, here's what happened. And that's maybe more important in the long run that the truth comes out and that we repair our Republic. We, we repair the, 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 uh, the cracks that are, that are there for all to see. And hopefully we can do better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so I just want to kind of revisit like the church committee a little bit and talk broadly about what that actually was. Um, but this will be like a very free flowing conversation. And, and if you, there's anybody on these chats that remember the old spaces chats that we did months ago, I mean, I leave it pretty much wide open. And if you guys want to ask questions or, or whatever, um, very open to, to questions about pretty much anything that's remotely related to Russiagate. Um, and then we'll kind of let the conversation flow from there. So, um, you know, revisiting the church committee, right? Because I certainly wasn't alive and I just wanted to read more about this with everybody throwing that, that name out there. And it was pretty interesting. I mean, they uncovered a, a, a ton of abuse. I mean, they looked at the CIA, they looked at the NSA, the FBI, uh, the IRS as well. And essentially they found all these abusive programs that were out there. Uh, they found one program, they were drugging American citizens and some type of mind control experiment, which is pretty crazy. Uh, they certainly found a surveillance program, uh, kind of targeting different political actors. They found a CIA program that, um, was apparently going to, focused on assassinations. And then 
Project Shamrock is one program that they identified. And that was a program where telecommunications companies were sharing their traffic with the NSA. And that sort of piqued my interest a little bit because we actually still have the same problem today. And I think it was Lee Smith a few weeks ago. And he's like, well, yeah, like the church committee, they're really good at identifying all these abuses. But the reforms that they they implemented, particularly around FISA, I mean, that didn't solve anything. If anything, the, the FISA became a rubber stamp. And they just went and did whatever they felt like doing anyway. And obviously, FISA was just abused to um, get warrants on Carter Page. We still don't have a full understanding of everything they were looking at with those FISA warrants. And then, you know, the telecommunications stuff, you know, that's not, you know, portions of that I think are related to Russiagate, but portions of that are not. I, I think there's just a, a spying program that exists, um, you know, between the NSA and the, the DOD right now where they don't feel like our metadata and our, our DNS data are subject to Fourth Amendment protections. They, they consider that's like we're throwing away trash. Like we don't have an expectation of privacy. And I think most Americans would certainly feel like they have an expectation of privacy. So um, hopefully there, there might be some congressional action there. And at least, you know, whether or not they can investigate this, I hope they actually take us seriously and, and pass a comprehensive data privacy bill. Um, let's see what else I had. Pretty much leaving it wide open. MB, do you have anything? Uh, just that I couldn't agree more. Um, it's one thing to identify these problems. It's another to try to do something differently than we have in the past and make some changes that stick. And uh, I, th I think there are some good ideas out there. And some of it is just the transparency has to be a much bigger part of this. We can't trust the people that feel like they are entitled to trust in our, in our government, whether it be, you know, what, whatever branch of government, because uh, there, there clearly is this sort of network of whether they're in the, uh, uh, executive branch, the, the legislative branch, the media, uh, this sort of elite cadre that will protect each other, will make sure that, you know, the wrong toes aren't stepped on, whether or not they have direct interest. They just know when the, when the boat gets rocked, we, we, we have to, you know, step up and protect things that, and I, I think that's, we, we've seen so much of that, you know, you can, we could spend all, all night just going through the, the list of, uh, the media protecting uh, the FBI because the FBI is giving the media, you know, hot leads and tips that are meant to, you know, throw investigators off. It's, it's just we have to break this up somehow. We have to figure out some way. And I think transparency is probably the best solution. It's just that, look, sorry, you know, maybe the Russians will get one over on us. Maybe uh, Al Qaeda will. Uh, will it, this is much bigger than that. I think it's a much bigger danger to this country than anything our external enemies can do, that we have these internal enemies that are trying to run the country on the sly and not allow a representative republic to exist. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, what, one aspect I really did like was that when they did all this work and they finally were done, you know, they, they took it to the the president Ford administration. And of course the president was like, no, like this is all classified. Uh, we're not going to let you release this. So then the committee just unilaterally declassified it. Like didn't even think that was like possible to do. And hopefully they can, they can create some type of system to, to do the same thing because 
we, we've seen this before where congressional uh, parties try to do some oversight and then the information just cla- de- or classified and then we never see it. And we saw that with the ICA report, um, you know, the HIPSI committee did, and, and that's still not out. So, I mean, it's one thing to actually get in there and do the work. And hopefully they're serious about enforcing subpoenas and pursuing documents and, and really uncovering the abuses that are likely to exist. But then on the other hand, they have to make sure they have a system to get that information out. So Stephen McIntyre, what's up, man? Just hanging out. <laughs> all right. Uh, Willie, I'll add you as speaker. If anybody else has any hi, questions. Hi, or... yeah. Hi, I'm yeah. here. Sorry. Sorry, I just um, had to turn the mic on. Sure. Um, well, um, I'm old enough to remember when the, the Frank Church Committee was on. So, <laughs> um, oddly enough, I had an interaction with uh, Congress um, um, involving Frank Church back in the 70s uh, when I was about probably about your age. Uh, so the, um, so I, I real, I, I learned when I was pretty young that the people in Congress were total liars and, um, nothing much has changed over the years, but, but the, the story I have about Frank church is a long one. So I won't, I won't bore everybody with it. Now I think I've written it up at, at my blog about 10, 12 years ago, because it was a funny story. But in terms of what, um, but the idea of of a of a committee looking at, you know, in terms of the RussiaGate angle on it, um, I guess the the number one thing I would like to see is the question Barr asked um, as soon as the Horowitz report came out, and that's how did the FBI continue on in their sort of deranged pursuit of Trump after? the Danchenko interview revealed the degree to which the, uh, the, their predicate was non-existent. And Barr asked Durham to find out about the FBI irregularities, omissions and mispractice. And, you know, that he asked that when Barr reported, um, you know, three more than three years ago now, and we still haven't heard anything useful on that. Yeah, I think that that, that's a great point. I mean, I I couldn't agree with that more because, you know, what Durham does ultimately, whether it's a report, I I don't think it's likely that we'll see indictments at this point, but even if it's a report, I mean, we're not going to get the underlying commentary on it. He's going to, he's going to have some conclusions in there. I'm, hopeful and, and I expect, you know, he'll try to give as much support as possible, but I think it would be great to actually have some of those FBI agents in the room and, and be able to get the transcript, if not public testimony from them and, and see what they say, because it, it's one thing to read it on a, in a report. It's one thing to read a transcript. It's another thing to see it in person and see their body language. I think you can pick up quite a bit and, you know, it, it goes to the credibility of the committee and, and how seriously they're going to take this. I mean, yeah, it's one thing if they want to throw Jim Comey up there because he's a big name and everybody in the country knows who Jim Comey is. But, I, you know, I, I hope and I think you'll agree. I mean, I'd like to hear from somebody like Joe Pianca, like throw him up there. Let's let's ask him some questions or 
um, you know, Curtis Heidi or, or some of these other names that we know. And, and I'm sure you have a, a bunch of names in your mind and, and whether they do it privately and we just get transcripts or, or publicly, I think that would be a great focus for, for Congress and MB or, or if you have any other thoughts on it, other focuses for, for Congress, I mean, we can just keep going with that um, discussion. Yeah. I'd, I'd be much more interested in getting documents. I mean, at this stage, if they do interviews with these guys, um, the answers to everything is going to be, well, it was a long time ago. I don't remember. Uh, so I think that you can, you can stand up one after another and, and we won't learn anything from it. Um, I'm not sure. And the, the other thing that the other problem that Congress is, that the committee is going to have is the sorts of civil service protections where, um, Unless you're the J6 committee, the only people you get to interview are the topmost officials. Uh, and so you don't get to hear, I mean, even somebody like Brian Otten was an exception, but, uh, unless they get the, um, unless they, they get to interview the, um, Helsons and, um, those sorts of people ahead of interviewing the, uh, Colmies and McCabe's of the world. Uh, they're not going to get anywhere, and I don't see how they're going to get how a congressional committee is going to be given permission to talk to a Helson or that kind of lower level guy. So I, I, I'm not sure where they get, you know. And, and McCabe isn't McCabe and Comey and those guys. They they won't admit to remembering anything. You know, maybe we should back up a second and just uh, for anybody that has their head under a rock or something. The uh, the Speaker of the House election went into sort of a fiasco for a couple of days because there were 20-odd holdouts that were had different demands and were not McCarthy fans. And uh, there's a list of uh, things that they got in order to change their votes to put McCarthy in. And one of them apparently was to create this church mission. So people were fighting to create this commission to investigate DOJ, FBI, uh, either wrongdoing or politicization. Um, and that's potentially, I mean, it's a big deal on space, but I think if you think about it, it could be a very big deal in the sense that there is a cadre in Congress that thinks this is worth, you know, going to the mattresses for, and they did, and they put their careers on the line. Um, I don't think it necessarily is just the, the, you know, the number of people that were, uh, voted against McCarthy to begin with. I think there are plenty of people, plenty of Republicans that agree that that needed to happen um, that also voted for McCarthy. Uh, so we, we don't know how many, but they're, I think they're important people. And uh, Thomas Massey, uh, his name's come up um, and he, he said, it's going to be a big deal and that, that they're going to get to the bottom of this, not just necessarily the Russia gate. So I'm sure the Hunter Biden computer and a bunch of other things are, are kind of looped into this, but there, it is a good thing that there's going to be a select committee. So it's not getting farmed out to different committees that have to start from scratch necessarily. They'll have a skiff. They'll have, they'll be able to do a lot of this stuff uh, behind closed doors. And I think they get a lot more done when the television cameras aren't on and they're all grandstanding, you know, spending their, you know, however many minutes saying, you know, Oh, back in Oklahoma, my people, you know, forget all that. If it's, it's sometimes behind closed door actually gets you a little bit further because there's the, the grandstanding goes away. So that that's why I'm kind of excited about this. Okay, I, well, I agree with your point about the, the non grandstanding. I think that's a, that's, yeah, I mean, you've put it nicely. I think that's very encouraging. And, you know, the last thing you, 
yeah, it'll be a relief not to watch the grandstanding. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, hopefully they can get somewhere. Um, Massey, I know, I, I don't know. I mean, he follows me, um, so he probably follows people in our corner of Twitter, and and is a. Uh, aware of the kind of approach that we have. So, um, you know, so I, I assume he probably for, you know, the other people that I correspond with, uh, I'm sure he follows them. So, so I, he's probably more up to date than we think. Yeah. I hope these guys, and I, I do hope that they reach out, you know, because there is so much knowledge on this corner, uh, undead, Steven, Hans, uh, walk a fire, Technofog, we all know the names. Fool Nelson, I better say him. Uh, there's a ton of you, you don't have to start from zero. You, you, nobody's looking for a paycheck. No one's looking for a job. Reach out. Anybody here will be happy to just give you some knowledge and help you get off the ground on this thing because the the timing is important. There's you know less than two years now, so I think that's a great point, MB. I, I probably should have said that right off the off the bat. I I think it it'd be great if they reached out to some of us. I think you know one that. One of the benefits is that we all have different perspectives and there's, there's things that speak to us a little bit differently. There's different opinions and that contrast actually makes for better analysis. It's, it's better to focus. It's better on focusing what's important and what's not. And, you know, sometimes when we have differences of opinion, you know, that debate going back and forth and we can do the same thing with any investigators that we, we might be able to speak to, you know, we can offer some of those questions that are out there and, and, even if we don't think a certain topic is important or not, it, you know, there's still going to be some questions, right? And, and, uh, you know, there, there's questions on everything. And one thing, one thought that I had a few minutes ago, I mean, the Obama administration, I think those documents would be interested to, to get because everything that's communicated to the president is documented. It doesn't matter what, what format or what context. I think it'd be really easy to subpoena, uh, the Obama White House, uh, for any presidential records and basically anything that was told to President Obama. I'm not saying President Obama did anything wrong. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it would be really important and interesting to know what he was being told uh, at certain certain data points. Yeah. In terms of it, like, I thought a little bit about listing some of the topics that at least I, that would be the top of my list. And I, I think to some extent, if a lot could be done, or at least something could be done by the House declassifying even some of their own materials. For example, I don't know how the hell the J6 committee can issue everything unredacted, whereas the House uh, Russiagate, uh, the House interviews from 2017 um, are redacted like crazy. And uh, so, I mean, just, just for the House to go and uh, reissue their transcripts of their 2017 interviews without with uh, unredacted would be some a very easy thing to do and a, and a good start. Uh, one of the uh, of the questions that would be on my mind um, the everything on the DNC hack that's been released through FOIA has been almost totally redacted. Uh, now I don't know whether the including and they've they haven't released even the the crowdstrike reports, so that would be that those are things that would be why not an unredacted version of the crowdstrike report? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I I don't think it's a, as important as as people thought at one point. I don't think they actually relied on it, but um, I yeah, I don't. 
I don't know what the yeah. I mean, well, in terms of the benchmarks, the like the the first October uh, twenty sixteen statement where they had confidence uh, that the Russians had hacked the DNC, and I, I I'm I'm very agnostic on on this. I mean, I, I don't buy into the the Bill Binney proofs that uh, or claims that that. Mm-hmm. That that they've shown that it was through a thumb drive. I've I've spent I, I started my interest in Rushgate through the through the hack angle, and I, I just remain agnostic. But I, I'm frustrated that they've never provided the evidence. So I I would like to know what evidence uh, what existed as of October um, 2016 when they released the statement. One of the one of the um, Curious things there, and I, I think Ryan's um, talked about this. He brought it up recently, and he's 100 percent right on this. Was you know in the Sussman documents, we 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 find out that um, the FBI didn't even have an image of the uh, of the Democrats' servers at that time. So it sounds like they were just winging it in October when they made their assessment. Maybe they weren't, but it doesn't sound like they had a whole lot of information other than what they were told by, by CrowdStrike and by open source media. Um, the second big benchmark, I think, was the um, commissioning of the uh, ICA, which, which was carefully choreographed between Senate Intel Committee, CIA, and Obama administration. And, this is something that gets right to something that is interest of the House because when the House was briefed as on December the first, twenty sixteen, they were told that that they couldn't give an the FBI and ODNI at that point couldn't give an assessment as to whether Russia was uh, sort of on the basis that Russia was interfering on it, whether it was to help Trump get elected or just to. Uh, stir stir up mud um but in the ica a month later uh they were 100 percent sure that uh russia was doing so to help trump but the everything in the senate intel committee report on that section is redacted and you know double redacted i mean there's just nothing on it so to this day we have no idea what the what the secret sauce was that changed everybody's mind in December to uh, to to say that Russia was trying to undermine Trump and and that was a that was a tremendously important assessment because it really um, you know poisoned the well for the incoming Trump administration and made it uh, you know kind of uh, made it impossible you know put the Manchurian candidate sign on top of them. And and to this day, uh, that's totally guarded secret. I mean, I, if there's someone, I'm not even sure that the House Intel Committee knows what it is. I mean, I, I've, I've talked to Lee Smith or corresponded with Lee Smith about this. And, you know, he thinks it was just the Steele dossier recirculated, but I, I, I don't think it is, but that whatever it is, we don't, we don't know. Um, and a third thing I'd be interested in was how do, how the hell did Danchenko get made a uh, confidential human source? I mean, just it, it seems so, and that goes back to the original bar question, but it sure seems like that was done to bury him. So it would be nice to 
uh, have the committee investigate why Danchenko was made a confidential human source and uh, how they went about it. And that seems to me like a nice, discrete problem where they actually could find out some facts without um, sort of having to sort of, uh, you know, consider everything in the world. Yeah, I think those are three great data points. And obviously, Danchenko being made a CHS, um, presumably that's why he didn't show up in the Senate Intel report or um, even the IG Horowitz report. And that's that's really disturbing because on the face of it, I think you know there's a pretty good argument to be made. They only did it so that they, they could hide him. Um, I mean, that's certainly what it looks like. But I, I think every you know, inquiry on that would be important to, to flush out exactly what the reasons were. And, you know, unfortunately, I think he ended up contributing to other investigations. And that's something that really bothers me because he was using the same subsources that he falsely attributed Russiagate information to. And then he turned around and used the same individuals allegedly or cited them as, as sources for other, for the basis of other investigations. And that, you know, that leads down a rabbit hole, um, which may not be a a primary focus, but certainly disturbing. Do do we know that he, do we know that he purported to use sort of the same sources like Vorontsov and Galkina and those people? I don't, I don't know that we know that. I, yes, we, we did have, yes, there is something in there. I, I I don't remember exactly which subsources it was. I think it was Vorontsov and, Who's the, who's the first subsource? I forgot. It's uh, uh, Abishev, 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 yeah. Abishev, Abishev, Sparantsov, um, yeah. Galkina, and um, Podobadova. Yeah. W- one of the weird things was apparently Abishev was one of them that um, he used for another investigation too. So um, I'll have to find that. I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. There is, there is information on that though. You know, that, that's something in this whole thing that is, just you can't wrap your head around is his reputation is being demolished real time by us. I mean, by this corner. And meanwhile, the FBI is using him real time to, you know, do these supposed investigations and come up, you know, with these successes that they claim. And if you listen, you know, if you go back and look at the, uh, uh, the Denchenko trial and uh, his handlers, uh, uh, representation of him and how great he was and how he was the number one source on Russia and all these things. And, you know, he's a liar and he's just, he's, you know, if you look at all his source network and how ridiculous it was. And meanwhile, real time, like this stuff was out there. If you, you just, you don't even have to dig that deep to find out that your source is just his, his credibility is disintegrating. And then up until, you know, even, you know, three months ago, they're defending him. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, let me push back. I'd like to push back a little bit on the Danchenko as liar um, motif. Um, I, I, I'm not. I'm not nearly as sold as most people in this corner was that Danchenko lied to the FBI. Uh, I know that. I mean, obviously, this the the Steele dossier was total fabrication, and I think that Danchenko. I, mean, I don't think it's possible to separate. What Danchenko's, uh, what Danchenko fabricated, and what Steele fabricated, but I think it, it's certainly fair to assume that Danchenko 
fabricated a lot of it. Um, but I, he had a get out of jail card um, that um, Lofman had given him, and I'm, I'm, I think he, I think he, you know, he told the truth to the FBI. The problem was the FBI didn't couldn't handle the truth, and they, they, they didn't believe him. Like when he told them how useless all this was, they rejected it. They thought he was, you know, and when he told them he'd never met million they didn't believe it um so i it's so then so but i mean the whole and the whole process of durham representing danchenko as a liar i i think was a you know it sabotaged the question that durham had asked i mean durham had asked well why after danchenko told you that this was all bullshit did all of this continue on and Durham then charges Denchenko with being a liar. And, and the, the lies were on things that were sort of irrelevant to the, to the predication of Mueller. So it was, uh, I, I, mean, I really think that, the, I think that that whole trial was a travesty. I mean, in terms of answering Durham's question, um, you know, Durham should have, should have interviewed Denchenko and, Found out, you know, what he told the F, which FBI officer, which, and and try to figure out from Denchenko how the FBI had gone off the rails, and um, you know, did he know whether, um, you know, whether what struck did he, what did he know about struck? What did he know about Priestap? What did he know about McCabe? Um, who, you know, and um, so I, I just think that they went off, they went totally off the rails there. But and I don't think. Now, in terms of Denchenko being a liar to the FBI, I don't think they proved that. Now, in terms of Denchenko just making up imaginary conversations, uh, for sure, we knew. But that was Nolan from the that the Steele dossier. I mean, the, you know, you you kind of knew that before Denchenko admitted it. Well, I. I- I think both things can kind of be true in the sense that uh, once Danchenko realized that the FBI wanted them, wanted, wanted him to lie to them, that's what scares me, is that obviously they're not looking for the truth. I need to feed them what they want to hear. That's what scares me. Who knows? You know, that went on for a couple of years. So when, when they started off the relationship with, yeah, don't, yeah, I don't think that's true. We don't want to hear that. Uh, we're going to go this way. You know, I, he seemed like the kind of guy that would just go along with whatever you want me to tell you. I will tell you. That seemed like his entire career. Um, I I I wouldn't bet two cents against that. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and the, I mean that goes you know and that goes back you know in terms of the church committee report. I mean that was the problem with the WMD investigation and and uh, curveball. I mean curveballs whole modus operandi was, you know, you want, you want to hear about WMD in Iraq. We've got number one WMD. We got the best WMD. We got all the WMD in the world. And I, I'm sure that all these, all these expats attempting to curry favor will tell, you know, they, they, they tell stories that the government wants to hear. But we don't know that. I mean, but the idea, we, you know, we don't know that, but uh, the flip side of it was, is that, uh, when you compare Danchenko's knowledge of Russia to the knowledge of people like Priestap and Strzok and uh, Martha and especially Brian Houghton, I mean, I suspect that 
Denchenko was giving them better information than Otten. It's a low bar. Hmm? I would still like to go back and revisit the Dolan stuff. I mean, it seems kind of weird. And and obviously part of Danchenko's troubles were due to the fact that he was kind of oddly distancing himself to, to Dolan, which he was kind of lassoed into that, I think, because he had been made a, a confidential human source and, you know, he was trying to backpedal a little bit, but uh, it is it is a little bit strange. I, I don't really understand the whole mechanism where Dolan's all of a sudden giving him information, and you know, th- th- it seems odd, right? It seems odd that somebody affiliated with the Clinton campaign is giving information to you know the primary subsource of the dossier, and um, you know, he's playing it off like, yeah, you know, I was just watching TV, and you know, Dan Chico said he he needed something, I just gave it to him, no big deal, and that. That seems I, odd. I, sorry, Ren, I, I don't think that's as odd as the FBI higher ups denying their analyst and their agent permission to run that down and investigate and make sure that there's nothing there. That that, that to me in the Danchenko trial was the biggest takeaway uh, that the higher ups stepped on them. And Otten actually apparently was on board with investigating Dolan a little bit further. And maybe he, maybe Dolan did nothing wrong. Maybe he knew nothing, but I mean, we're talking about it. Talk, it takes nothing to open on someone. We've established that. So why would you not, unless there was some political pressure, unless there's something we don't know about that maybe he was already cooperating. That's a possibility. Uh, you know, it's, it's a hall of mirrors, but I think that's an open question. And I'd like to, to know the answer to there, there, there's certainly more of a predicate on Dolan than there was uh, when they opened Crossfire Hurricane in the first place. Absolutely, and I, I think the like a fourth point, and this would be me, and I, you know, we might disagree on this one. It would be matters related to Manos and Tanakakis, David Dagan, and Rodney Joffe, and we might agree a little bit more on on Joffe at least, but there is something weird here, and. You know, the fact that they're associated with this, the alpha allegations, and then as Dagan's attorney noted, apparently the Department of Justice, a couple months later, tasked David Dagan to go look at the alpha allegations, uh, presumably unwittingly of the fact, or unwitting of the fact that Dagan was the one that gave them the, the information a couple months prior, uh, through Sussman. That seems very odd to me. I mean, that's what his his attorney said. He said the Department of Justice went to Dagan to investigate the alpha matter. Um, so that that's very strange to me. And then the fact that they would become associated with Special Counsel Mueller months later, and you know they looked at the DNC hack. And I don't think I don't think that's insignificant. I mean, he's putting it. This lawyer's putting this under the header of matters that are related to what special counsel Durham is looking at. And part yeah. of that reads that it is his work on the DNC hack and the attribution that uh, he's looking at. So, you know, there's, there's limited amounts that I can say in public because I don't want to make anybody, you know, certain lawyers upset, but it, you know, I, I'm not saying that he did anything wrong, but it, it does have to be looked at. I mean, you just, you know, it's too much of a red flag. Um, yeah, I, I guess in terms of, of, of pushback on that, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much you, you dug into the original attribution of the DNC hack 
But were you following it in 2016 and 2017 in real time? Not so much in real time, but obviously we have what CrowdStrike did. And, and I don't put any weight in that whatsoever. I mean, based on what they, they threw out there, um, you know, it was just their own internal analysis and the FBI had seen none of it. And I actually discount that because they did such a media campaign on it. I mean, it was obvious that Clinton wanted that out there. Um, and then we have the October 7th, 2016 attribution statement, which is obviously important. I mean, that's where the federal government is saying officially that yes, the Russians hacked the DNC and they run this interference campaign. And then we have the, the ICA report and we don't know what information might have developed between the October period and, you know, the December, January period where they're, they're releasing the ICA report already, but yeah. Okay. I, th- I think you're, I think you're trivial. I think you're over trivializing the sort of the evidence. I mean, look, I, th- I think the, th- I think the, I think the situation is is not nearly as clear as it should be, and that I haven't seen evidence that is conclusive. But there is evidence. Uh, I mean, the the malware that was reported to be on the um, DNC server uh, is characteristic of uh, APT twenty eight, and so there's there's reason to believe that APT twenty eight was inside the DNC server and they're an active, um, they're an active, uh, malware group. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, there's disagree. a certain respectfully, I would disagree because I, I don't put any weight whatsoever in the sources and methods type of a type of attribution that just because certain activities were associated or, or were similar to known activities of GRU that, that type of attribution is very, very sketchy because they also it, it, did the same thing with uh, uh, typo squatting. There was a it don't, MIS, it, MIS. Sure, 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 sure. But but I'm not saying that it's proof. Proof. I mean, it's not like it's not. I think that they. I think that they probably overvalued that evidence as constituting a form of proof. But it is evidence. You know, like you can't sort of like like you know if they didn't put it, you know, if they didn't put it there, then somebody, somebody did put it there and you're engaged in a major fraud by, by CrowdStrike, which is not impossible, but you're getting into a much more elaborate theory. Well, I mean, like, it's like another, it couldn't just been misled. I mean, if, if you were to lay a trail of breadcrumbs back to the GRU, it would be very, very easy to do. You just use their tools to do it and, you know, pop up a v- VPN that they use. Uh, I'm not saying that happened. I'm saying that is something that can't be discounted because, again, this all is just smoke and mirrors, and it's all super, you know, reacher kind of uh, in-depth, uh, you know, IC kind of stuff. And I don't know how we'll ever get to the bottom of that. I, it, oh, it, okay. No, we're on the same page there. All, but I'm, I'm just saying that – but but to for to did, I, I just think that it's frustrating. Or at least I think that the agencies should um, put everything out there. I mean, like they, they hide everything under sources and methods. But it's hard to believe that some information on APT twenty eight techniques in twenty sixteen ha- have any continuing 
uh, sources and methods secrecy. I mean, the, the, why not put every why not put everything out there? I mean, in in an ordinary in an ordinary hack, there's far more information about how the hacking was done than there is for this one. Absolutely. And that's the, that's something that the house could could practically do is say let's let's remove the mystery from this. Um, you know, let's show people, and if it shows, you know, maybe, maybe the maybe, maybe it, it proves what they were saying all along. But uh, that's fine. It it sort of uh, settles, you know, it stops people from worrying about it. Absolutely, um, and and I think there, there's an argument to be made that even if it was the Russians, I think the disclosure of that to answer all the questions that people have is more important that any possible information that we could could give up on their sources and methods. I mean, to your point, I mean, how, how valuable is information from seven years ago on, on methods? And, yeah. you know, we have a lot of private actors, private entities out there that are releasing reports pretty regularly on the different sources and methods that the GRU are using. So it's not like, you know, something in the similar vein, like I don't think it's going to be that much value. Plus, I mean, we're obviously at a very adversarial position with Russia right now. It's not like, you know, it's not like we're going to be best friends anytime soon. So I, I don't like I don't think it's going to change anything for, you know, Russians out there. They're not going to be incentivized to change their methods or like go on some hacking spree or something. Yeah, pretty no, busy I, right I, now. <laughs> right, right, and if and if anything, I mean, I th- like I think that there's a a real case that the whole Russia Gate fiasco i mean that the worst implica- the worst result was not domestic to the united states but the deterioration of international relationships based on what may very well have been a fraudulent um fraudulent theory fraudulent uh, exercise by the fbi you know, so i mean it's not, you know i don't know that but it it, it sure you know to the extent that there was a russia gate hoax that where Trump was represented as a Manchurian candidate, and that was clearly a hoax. I mean, but that has been uh, that's had catastrophic international relations impact, impacts. Yeah, I agree absolutely. And uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of questions about whether or not there, you know, whether there was a hack by any adversarial actors at all, because it just, you know, there's. Obviously, we don't have to go through the litany of, of issues around there, whether they're reusing the, the known IP address of, you know, GRU or, you know, they're using a Russian VPN service and, uh, you know, the litany of issues we've, we've talked about extensively. But, you know, the fact that they pushed this story out there on June 14th and then six days later, Steele writes his first dossier memo. I mean, you, you basically just primed the environment to be very receptive to anybody that's coming forward and saying, Hey, I have information about Russian collusion. I mean, that, that was the effect, whether, you know, there was some scheme or some plan or not, it was certainly the effect that as soon as Steele came forward and said, Hey, FBI, I got this information. They were going to be much more receptive to it. Yeah. I, although the, 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 the attempt to sort of ratchet up the Russia card started in, um, really a couple of months earlier. And I, I think that, sort of the market for sort of Trump as Putin's bitch was created in Dem- Democrat media um, starting in, it's really starting in, well, starting, it intensified in April 
uh, when Trump, I think, in Trump questioned NATO, and that he seemed to have touched a, a third rail of U.S. politics when he did that, and so all the Ukrainian hawks came down on him and the, and joined up with the Democrats to try to portray Trump as a as Putin's bitch as an election strategy, which is lingering with with us still. Absolutely. Daniel, what's up, man? Hey, welcome back. Thank you. Um, Very excited. (laughs) I already saw a couple threads going, and I love it. Um, (laughs) So uh, one thing I had uh, was thinking about, and it's relating back to the church commission that's going to be set up, is it's presumably going to be a bipartisan commission. So what uh, kind of Democrats are we looking at that might be appointed to this commission? And uh, will they be interested in investigating these kind of abuses and or will they just be roadblocks in this because I know that the church commission was a very bipartisan investigation so that's one of the reasons they had so much success this will not be a bipartisan investigation yeah and uh, (laughs) I like I will almost guarantee you Adam Schiff is going to be on this committee uh it's it's going to be ugly uh but I think the J6 brings up some interesting It brings up some interesting payback opportunities, but again, I don't know if that's a good idea either. Like, you want to just turn this into a, a, a fight immediately? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I would, try, I would recommend somebody like Rashida Talib or AOC for the for the church committee. <laughs> Just for the optics? <laughs> no, no, I, I, no. Quite seriously, I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, they're more likely. Or Il, no, actually, the best one of them would be Il, Ilhan Omar. Um, just, just. I mean, she'd have some. That would be very interesting. I mean, she, I mean, she'd have some. Uh, you know, that's where you sort of have a right and left convergence, and in, in a sort of some concern over the surveillance state. Yeah, that's what I was. Uh... That's what I was thinking a little bit, but there's just really not a lot of Democrat politicians that are, you know, that kind of that kind of age of uh, the Democratic Party's kind of past where they cared about, you know, the, 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 FBI abuse, surveillance by the government. The, 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 I'm trying to, there's a California congressman who uh, uh, kind of at least objected to some of the Twitter stuff. Uh, um, Rokana, was that, is that? Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. I mean, he'd be somebody. Yeah, I'd like to see him on it. He'd be somebody. I mean, if I were if I were Matthew or something like that, that's the sort of guy you'd want on it. But but yeah, I I, uh, the Matthew, you know, I don't. I mean, try to get him. Ilhan Omar. Some get somebody else with uh, sort of uh, immigrant immigrant. Um, you know, maybe there's some maybe there's somebody in a. Sort of in an RFK Junior kind of school. Well, the I mean, problem I, is the Democrats get to pick their own members. So, unless they go down the day six road and they say Adam Schiff is a, is going to be a witness in this, so he is not going to be welcome. And you know what? The best thing that might happen is. It could be a reverse of the J6, and the Democrats say, we're not letting anybody on this committee, and then it's just run by Republicans. And yeah, that would be that. that would be super political politicized, but on the other hand, we might get a lot more done. 
Man, uh, I just had one other question uh, on that. What? Oh, what was the? You hinted you had gotten a response from the from the AG of Georgia about the missing subfolder and files that were trans uh, transmitted to DOJ and more. What? What was his exact reply? And uh, are you following up with that? Is that going to be part of the lawsuit? Yeah. So For, uh, this was this was actually something I sent to Georgia Tech and. It was around the time that we found that out for the first time that they had lost some documents or they couldn't find these documents yeah, that were being asked This is, I think, it. really interesting here, how this is just gone. Like, Yeah. It, it is a little bit troubling. I mean, especially because whoever it was, I, I and think it was David lot, Dagan. The, the, the most problem is they're, they're relying on it as a basis for reasons why they should be receiving legal uh, legal. Uh, payments by the oh, uh, by the university, and they can't. I sent three letters. I sent it's... three very long emails to the Georgia AG, and I basically said, like in the first one, I was like, you know, DARPA is saying they didn't approve this. Like, what? Like, what's the? If you can't, what's the basis? And you are claiming that like this is yeah. this existed or something? It, could that be fraud? For instance, yeah, he wants like, five hundred thousand dollars from the state yeah. of Georgia. That's what he wants. And I'm like, so, no, this is crazy because it's not clear to me that Georgia Tech approved this. And if they didn't approve it, you know, there, there's one section in one of the letters where DARPA stepped and, forward, and where, DARPA they're, where they're putting this on DARPA. Yeah. And DARPA's like, no, we didn't approve it either. So it's like, what is the, the possible basis that you're claiming for $500,000? And then you have no documents. I submitted an open re- records request to David Dagan personally. I sent many to Georgia Tech. There are no documents. That's what they're. That's what they're representing. They have zero documents on anything, and they want half a million dollars. I, I don't know how you could just do that. You're, you're, it's literally just going to someone say, "Hey, you know, I have all this, but yeah, it doesn't. You know, I can't prove it, but yeah, it's there. Trust me." Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a hot button for me. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Well, I just to say, I mean, I. I yeah, you, you, you've had miraculous success with Georgia Tech and the FOIAs. I mean, I, I, about 15 years ago, um, we, we did FOIAs for climate data with climate scientists and, um, we just, the institutions just stonewalled everything. And, the, and, uh, uh, Chris Horner did a lot of FOIAs for, for letters. So, and, um, the universities contested uh, every FOIA request denied everything. Um, so, uh, the, the fact that the, that Georgia Tech has been, so, been so forthcoming in their FOIA productions is really pretty surprising. I mean, it, it, you know, it's nice that you got it, uh, but, um, don't be surprised. Don't, don't, don't be surprised if, 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 you know, the, the, I, I, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of weird from given the the previous performance of universities that um, Georgia Tech has been so, so forthcoming. And I guess it's just that they, they just really, you know, it seems to me like they really wanted to wash their hands of it and just didn't want to get in the midst of, of any controversy, but uh, you know, and, uh, but, and I also, but in terms of, but also in terms of, of how much weight to put on the, the statement of the, lawyer that this was part of his original contract i mean they're arguing that in order to get the university to pay for it whether it was really true or not 
Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how my, I, it, it, it seemed like it, it sure doesn't seem to me like, like, you know, and this is, and I'm agreeing with your point on this, that, that, uh, their efforts to do stuff with Joff in, in 2016 to smear Trump. I mean, it was part of his DARPA employment. I mean, it seems pretty far fetched, but on the other hand, that's how, you know, they need to say that to get their legal fees. But I just wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't conclude that because they say that, that it was really true. Well, you know, and I, I pose this question a little bit. I, you know, I'm starting to wonder about fraud statutes because that, that's if what you, I was just yeah, if about. you make representations that are fraudulent in nature or incorrect in the inducement of a payment of half a million dollars in legal fees, that seems like there, there's got to be a, a fraud charge there. Or uh, Georgia yeah. has certain laws around uh, false claims act. So if you make yeah, a claim yeah, yeah. with the state of Georgia that results in uh, financial losses for taxpayers. That that gets you into hot, hot water, and it's like, can you really throw away an immunity agreement? And it's like, that's why well, I don't I don't know if he's lying. I I don't know if I can say he's lying because there's so much that he's risking if he's wrong. Well, no, he can he yeah. can be he can, he can be wrong without being fraudulent. I mean, he he you know he could believe that you know he could he could certainly believe that he was doing that as part of his DARPA. Duties no, no, and that they, that they, there are that they were that they were trying to uh, get this uh, big contract for Georgia Tech and that he was sh- sort of doing this stuff for Joff. Uh, I, mean, I mean, if I you know that he was doing this stuff for Joff as a just as a favor, you know, or as you know, kind of you know, as a promotion to uh, get the big contract and to get the data for the big contract, and so it was all part of one one piece and and some you know i could you know a court might a court might not agree with that but by the same token it wasn't you know it's not necessarily fraudulent to argue it or claim it well you you have to prove it you have to prove it and darpa is saying of uh the files like that they exist there and they have no record of them darpa is saying they they didn't approve this at all and and darpa is saying they really don't have any records apparently um, related to this incident. So it's like DARPA just, you know, whoever it was, and, and I think it's specific to probably three or four individuals, I think they were just cutouts. I, I don't think they were acting in an organizational p- capacity. I think they were acting in some type of unofficial capacity t- just to take this information and feed it to the Department of Justice. And I don't think the agency or the leadership at the agency really knew about it. I mean, that's that's what... Based on my read, DARPA has been very consistent. Has been consistent in their claims of denial, but their yes. claims of denial aren't looking very strong. <laughs> That's from right. What we see. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had another point, but I kind of one concern that I have is that we don't even get to this stuff at all because there there are these other investigations out there that Republicans have talked about. And, you know, they might want to get into Hunter Biden stuff. They might want to do this and that. And, you know, once you start dividing your resources, then all of a sudden you don't really have the muscle to go and, and pursue Russiagate like you should. But, you know, the Hunter Biden stuff, that's going to be temporary. You know, once Biden's out of office, I mean, you're not looking at influence peddling. You know, there, there might be some money laundering and stuff. That's, you know, is what it is. You know, I'm not saying it's not a worthwhile investigation. I'm just saying 
when you have limited resources and, and time, you know, the, the stuff that we're talking about here with Russiagate, with the Department of Defense, with the data collection and data mining and, you know, the issues around the DNC hack and everything that happened, I like that's the worthwhile investigation. I mean, if if we went through everything we went through as a country for multiple years with nightly just 24-7 news coverage blasting us about how Rush, Russia and Trump were, were colluding together, there has to be a reckoning. I mean, you know, if, there, if there's a there there, we need to find it and we need to, you know, we need to have some accountability. And, and you know, maybe nobody goes to prison for it, but, you know, we need we need to know. Agreed. I, I think there's also a lack of just the members that are currently in the Congress. There's not a lot of them that were on those committees, the House Intelligence and uh, Judiciary, when they were back in 2017 and in 2018. A lot of those members have been either went to the White House, other positions, or resigned in Nunez. So that's also one factor that I was thinking about. Well, I mean, it, it, to the extent that Russia Gate, I think you're right that it's going to be a pretty small percentage of what a new what the committee will look at. I mean, things like the like the the coordination with social media is going to and Hunter Biden. I think realistically, those are both going to be bigger sources of current interest. And Russia Gate is pretty far in the rearview mirror. Though I a thousand percent agree with you that there ought to be a reckoning on it, and that. And that it's it's impact and its impact on foreign policy and international relationships is far greater than the Hunter Biden stuff, or or the Facebook stuff or the you know Facebook Twitter stuff. But what um, which probably means that that to the extent that our corner can formulate objectives, it it would be to to pick things that are pretty finite and that can get results fairly quickly for a committee. I mean, you know, what, you know, without having to kind of reinvent the wheel. I mean, and, and again, I, I go back to sort of, you know, looking back at the three or four big trigger points uh, in the Russiagate affair and how those got, how those got off the ground. I mean, without, without trying, you know, without even, interviewing without trying to interview Comey or McCabe or these guys, but just, um, you know, just, you know, just try to get some of these, you know, what did, what, what did the, what did they actually know in October? What did they know in, in December? What did they know at the, the ICA? I mean, just unredact this stuff. Anyway, that's my take. Yeah, no, I, I think, agree. I think, and I, and I, I wonder if we shouldn't, you know, there's some discussions going on, you know, about what we can do and, and advocate for. And it's like, how do you break down topics that are as massive as they are? And and I almost wonder if we should do it at like the subpoena level. And, and instead of saying, you know, you, you got to look at the, you know, the ICA is, you know, relatively uh, intact. Maybe you can just say ICA report, but on some of the other stuff, like maybe the DNC hack attribution, maybe there's, you know, maybe we can come up with like, five or 10 subpoenas and just say, you know, yeah, you got to look at the DNC hack attribution, but okay, here's like 10 subpoenas. If, if we had the authority, these are the 10 things that we would look at related to DNC hack attribution. And, and maybe, maybe that's a consideration we could have. 
I, I mean, you just say, well, I mean, or a simpler thing would just like they produced 900 pages to the Ty Clevenger FOIA on DNC and just say, just release all of the re- release the Ty the Ty Clevenger FOIA unredacted. Yeah, um, I think you know, sorry, just, and 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 for the house for the house committee to figure out how the how they're going to maneuver in uh, to to issue unredacted documents and in, in, in a society where only the J6 committee gets to re- issue unredacted documents. Yeah, I, I think it's a good exercise for us to, you know, what what do we want right now? What are our priorities? Because maybe that'll mean something. And uh, why don't we pull the, you know, anybody else that wants to speak too, if you, you know, you want to jump up here, let's hear it. Like if you had to pick one document or one subpoena, what would it be? Like Stephen, Daniel, jump in. If you, if you pick one, what would it be? Ryan, what do you think? Sorry, I missed part of that. Like what topics would I be interested in? Like, like narrow it down. Like what would be one very specific topic, one document, one subpoena, somebody that you want to put on the stand, what would it be and why? <laughs> I don't Ooh. know if I could do one, but I, I mean, obviously <laughs> a, tough, big, right? for a, second. a big focus for me is probably Rodney Joffe and just his relationship to the entirety of our government and, you know, his involvement in, in basically everything and packet forensics. You know any data that they provided that was used for DNC hack attribution? I yeah. think uh, if I had to pick like one person, it would probably be a Peter Struck that actually would answer the question. Like if he could, if we could go back to like 2017, 2018, and actually depose him, like with all that we know now, I think because uh, he was a very big part in all that, I think we'd come up with a lot more than. Uh, we have. He wouldn't answer anything. Yeah, that's the well. I think if he was, uh, if he was forced to, but like subpoenaed, that to be, um, and that the FBI actually allowed him to answer. If uh, if we had gotten something like that, I think we would have learned a lot more. But they didn't do anything to push back against the DOJ's claims of, oh, he's he's. It's part of active investigation, but he was not on the investigation anymore. It was months ago, so the stuff they was there for. So why can't we learn about it? I guess if I were listing things, um, I'd like to I'd like to see the FBI intelligence memo on the Steele dossier that was written in October of 2016. At least I believe that there was such a thing. And that, that it was the common background to the FISA and to the March talking points. I'd like to see the uh, Senate Intel, uh, the total unredaction of the Senate Intel Committee re- uh, report on how they supposedly knew that Russia was helping Trump. There's 20 pages of redacted information now. Um, I'd like to see the Documents on the Danchenko CHS uh, hey, hey, uh, negotiation and offer. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I just divided myself into three. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's one, but it'd be just like, but just you know, making practical lists. I mean, those are all fine. Those are things I'd like to see. 
Yeah, I didn't especially, know we could do sub bullet points. Like, but if, yeah, especially if I had, the Dzhenko becoming a CHS, how that happened. Yep. There, there's a there'll be a document trail. There there has to be a document trail for that. My my one B my sub point would be probably information on Ilya Sachkov and Sergey Mikhailov and their involvement and and whatever happened. I, I have no idea. You know, <laughs> we have no clue. You know, there's a, like a we vaguely understand that it's associated with the DNC hack, but like we have no idea. Uh, anything. (laughs) I mean, we don't, well, we don't know whether it is. I mean, for reader, for, for listeners, how many, do do listeners as a whole know, know the, the Kalev story? I mean, this, I, I mean, this is sort of the total hall of mirrors. Look at my, my 62nd summary, assuming that most people don't know what that was about, but, um, shortly after, in December of 2016, uh, two two medium level or senior officials of S- FSB were uh, arrested in Russia as being CIA spies, and one of the theories uh, of one of the alternate theories of the DNC hack is that, uh, and this is relates to the, the, the attribution to GRU. So, for example. It may be possible to attribute it to to Russia, but how how do we know that it was the GRU as opposed to the FSB? And if it was the FSB, then you have the interesting situation where the responsible officers uh, in the FSB are probably CIA agents. So you really have kind of the whole thing, sort of sort of in a in a one of these sort of. So you've got Brennan sort of instructing the FSB agents who are doing the, the, the DNC hack who then blame the GRU for it all. And, or, or maybe, maybe not at all, but that's where the Mikhailov, um, Mikhailov and Dokuchev were FS, the FSB officials in, in question. And it's a total, you know, it just makes your head spin trying to think it through. Yeah. <laughs> can't believe we haven't gotten any hints of that i mean i i don't know um you know if that was all cia or or wherever that information might have come into or or whether there was information or whether it's just some some story that russia's spinning and you know at the same time i mean they were arrested for something and and you know, oh, they're they're arrested. They're in jail. Yeah, they, <laughs> they haven't been seen in like six years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I, I, that's a tough one. Ilya Sachkov actually was just arrested, I think, a couple years ago. Which one? Uh, I think Ilya Sachkov. I think he was just arrested a couple years ago. I think he, was he was arrested. In that, yeah, Kozlovsky's another one. I got I got contacted. I got an email from Kozlovsky a few years ago. <laughs> and I didn't like commissary money or? Hmm? <laughs> Did he want no, commissary money or? Get him out. No, no, out. no, no, no. I, I, he, 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 he. I'd written a blog article, like I'd written a blog article in which I had noticed some overlap in the infrastructure between the Lurk Banking Gang and APT Twenty Eight. It was really weird, really weird. And um, a couple of weeks later, or sometime later, um, uh, Kozlowski noticed this and. 
uh, he was, I think he'd already been arrested, but he seemed to be able to communicate. Kozlowski seems to be able to have more access to social media and email than J6 protesters. And he sent me an email sort of inviting me to uh, ask questions. And he, uh, and, and to prove that it was Kozlowski himself, he, he, he sent me an email from one of the email addresses that was one of the, the um, had been cited as as the Lurk Banking Gang infrastructure and and one of the and um, that was and connecting. So the uh, I had just I had been kind of wondering whether there was some what the connection was between just these ordinary commercial hackers. Uh, and APT28, and I mean, again, it's one of these mysteries. And um, and and one of one, one there's another story of the DNC hack which nobody talks about much. Uh, are you familiar with the Act Blues hack? Uh, I haven't looked at it recently. I, I think I'm vaguely aware of it. Yeah. Well, what 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 that was is that they. They set up Act Blues was a typo squat of the Democrat donation site actblue.com. And at one point, they hijacked the DCC uh, webpage to divert uh, donors to the actblue.com page or the actblues.com page, which was uh, going to be sort of a, a sort of sending the donations to a Russian criminal organization or supposedly Russian criminal. And so there was a battle back and forth between, um, uh, and this was on this, 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 this sort of hacking of the DCC webpage uh, was taking place after the crowd strike announcement on June 15th. So this is on June 16th. That they said that this is still going on 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 DCC now. Exactly why sort of Putin's top hackers were taking time out of their espionage of the DNC to try to hijack the the Democrat donation page? It seems like an odd uh, an odd activity. That was an odd either. They they were doing that as far back as like two thousand four. Um, the same, like the Operation Firewall guys. I can't remember who, but which hackers. But that was like that, that goes back to hacking the uh, the the election committees. Uh, they did both parties, I think. So, like no, that should have been on everybody's radar screen. That's not a like a it's just like a new idea to come up with. No, no, but this is this wasn't surveillance hacking. This was hacking. No, no, no yeah, hacking. hacking yeah, cat. yeah, taking cat donations. Yeah, cash. It goes it, it, uh, the two thousand four election that was going on, and it was, was right? uh, linked to Russians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll send you a link. Okay, that, that's it. Yeah, or, or and even some of these. I mean, it's hard to and and which ones are Russians and which ones are Ukrainians, and and they're all probably indistinct. You know, in term, you know, as criminal organizations, are all probably and indistinguishable. Intentionally, they were they were being. Uh, they would say Russian when it could mean anyone Eastern European. So <laughs> it, it's 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 especially difficult to to you know put blame on anyone. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was chatting with, with Fool. Was talking with Fool Nelson about um, Maxim Popov, who's one of his favorites. And uh, he Popov is always represented as Russia, Russian, but he comes actually, you know, he comes from Western Ukraine and from a oblast where 
Stepan Bandera is sort of especially is sort of probably more celebrated than almost anywhere else in Ukraine. So the idea that this guy is, uh, you know, so I mean, he sort of anybody from Western Ukraine is probably more Ukrainian than Russian. Um, might open it up for a couple questions. I don't think we want to do a crazy long chat tonight, but, uh, add speaker here. Hey, Persia, what's up? Hey guys. Uh, great work. I'm glad you're keeping up the good fight. Um, I, I, I would, I would subpoena, um, John Durham. I want all his communications. And then after that, I want uh, Muller's, and then I want Huber's, and the whole seventh floor. But anyway, um, I just I was just wondering, like in terms of legal exposure, like it sounds like there's some some we're kind of divided here about who wants to see documents versus, you know, who wants to still go for prosecutions. You know, I'm assuming we're talking primarily about like Muller team and after because you know no one before that you know statute of limitations like but even even if we go all the way back to 2016 um like who would have ever had possible legal exposure like i mean i i used to listen to dan bongino a lot and from what i could tell you know you could really only you could really only nail people with like the for example the woods file like there's the woods procedures right like you have to sign off on that someone has to swear that everything in it is, you know, um, been validated or checked out and, uh, and accurate and all that. And so you could actually go for somebody criminally. Otherwise there'd have to be a conspiracy basically, because everyone else, you know, could just be, you know, you could chalk it up to like incompetence, right. Malfeasance instead of misfeasance and, and whatever. We've seen what happened inside Twitter. You didn't need to have a bunch of people saying, Hey, let's go take down all the Trump haters or the Trump lovers you know, let's go take out down all the MAGA people, but that's what happened, right? Like you didn't need everybody to collude and say, Hey, let's, let's do this and take out this person and work together, um, you know, to have that effect to, to rig, to totally, you know, rig the election or, or sh- tilt the election. So I'm just wondering, like in terms of charges, like against, like what kind of charges would you expect to be able to lay other than like, or are there any other than conspiracy besides, like I said, the, like, you know, the, the, the wood signing off on the woods, uh, you know, procedure for the, uh, the FISA warrants and everything. Like uh, apparently Rod Rosenstein already said, it's not him that, uh, you know, even though he signed off on it, he said, Oh, the other people, you know, they had to do their job. And I just signed off on it. So he admitted that he didn't read the whole thing and all that. So they, could they all just, could they even play the game with the woods procedure and everything? Like, yeah, so well, Glenn I mean, there's Simpson lied to Congress, right? Yeah, I Just mean, saying. that's really for statute of limitations. I mean, it's not it's not a big issue. It's really the issue of whether or not Durham has the evidence. Because if Durham had evidence of a conspiracy, there's plenty of overt acts that would extend the ex, extend the statute of limitations. Um, presumably, I mean, for for several years. I mean, we we could have at least easily like six months depending on who you include in that conspiracy or, or who was a- acting at the you know to advance that conspiracy i mean there's there's still a case i mean he could still bring charges the problem is 
you know, he's lost two cases, so he doesn't have a whole lot of political cover <laughs> um, to go and, and pursue criminal charges at this point. Um, as of October, you know, he told Rodney Joffe that he will not be charging Rodney Joffe. So, you know, what, what that means for his case, what that means for John Durham, I don't, I don't know. Um, it, you know, it's obviously a point of speculation, but, you know, that would seem to suggest that Durham is done. At the same time, it's been two months and we haven't heard about Durham's report yet. So <laughs> it, it's hard mm. to say for sure. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, conspiracy type predicate offenses that you could potentially see, but a, a lot of that's going to be evidence-based, whether you could conclude that the Alpha Bank um, data was fraudulent or spoofed, that could be a criminal charge. If you could say the same thing about the DNC hack, obviously that's a, a huge predicated offense. Um, if you could say conclusively that there's criminality at the FBI, if you could say, you know, somebody told Kevin Kleinsmith to, to alter that document to advance the conspiracy. Yeah, you could, you could, you could see some of that, but something like a Woods file, you know, it, that's really gonna, that's really gonna be contingent on what do other Woods files look like, right? For cases unrelated to what we've been, you know, talking about with Russiagate and stuff. I mean, are those, those files in similar fashion or does it look like, you know, is there typical FBI incompetence or is this, you know, something that's specific to this case that that's indicative of, you know, malfeasant, you know, intentions. Um, So, yeah, yeah, in terms of what we, but also what we know in terms of say the Woods files in particular, I mean, the, the, the guys that are signing these things are program manager schlubs that, in in dc i mean they don't know anything much about it they're you know they're paper pushers i mean they're not they're not criminals um so and i i just don't see that as uh it, nothing's going to happen on that um and nor nor should it really because i mean they're the you know some guy like ryan gainer or somebody like that is or richard mains whoever the whoever the 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 people were that were doing it um we're not involved in any anything very untoward, and in, I mean, they, uh, in terms of I mean, in terms of of, rep- of things that I think are particularly offensive, um, and in terms of false information, but as mostly passed under the radar, was in March of 2017 uh, when. The the FBI and Department of Justice um, start briefing Congress, and this is just you know leading up to Comey's March twentieth twenty seventeen speech, where he basically takes the whole Russiagate hoax public and really starts the starts the ball rolling for Mueller and sort of decapitating the Trump administration. They were still repeating almost word for word untrue statements about the steel network validity that had been made in October. Uh, So I mean, in, in March of 2017, they were saying that, um, the subsource was Russian based, uh, and that the FBI had no control over him. Uh, at a very at the very moment when they knew that Danchenko was living in Northern Virginia, and they were about to m- make him a 
FBI confidential human source. So I mean, that was, a, in my opinion, that was a far more, um, a far worse lie than anything in the Carter Page Fises and one that had far more dramatic impact because uh, it sets the stage for this sort of national bloodletting uh, that that started uh, that took place and and um, now the problem with somebody like like the, uh, you know you'd sort of say well who's at fault there well Lisa Page it turns out was the lead author of the talking points and Lisa Page probably wasn't familiar with the details of the um, she probably didn't even know about Denchenko. So she 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 wasn't up to date on the investigation. She was reading off of a FBI intelligence memo that that point was five months old and hadn't been updated. So was she at fault? Well, she was relying on the documents she had available to her. Um, I, mean, I mean, you'd have you'd have thought that somewhere in the uh, you know five top FBI officials and five top DOJ officials that reviewed. Uh, this this document that they'd have known better, but um, I guess they'd all say they didn't know. Um, and that was the, that was the question that Barr asked three years ago after Horowitz, and we still don't know. But I mean, but but those March those March twenty seventeen papers that uh, really ratcheted up the whole tension were uh, have have. I mean, those were concealed by the FBI for years and years and years, and it just came out accidentally um, in the Sussman exhibits. Oh, speaking of, of, of documents that we should be asking for, how about the, the exhibits to the Danchenko trial, which of, which Durham hasn't released? Um, and he could release because they could release them because they released all the exhibits to the Sussman trial, but he's they they've kept everything. Uh, I mean, Durham hasn't re- released anything from the exhibits of uh, Danchenko. And the, the exhibits in, in Sussman, the exhibits are way more interesting than the trial. No, that's that's true. We we uh, At the trial, we asked uh, where we could find them, when they were going to be released, and we got kind of – well, we were referred to uh, – what was the guy's name? Horatio Kornblower, whatever his name was, uh, that is in charge of that stuff. And uh, – a lot of people have been asking, and uh, they have not released it, and it's intentional. So I couldn't tell you why. Not, now, for, uh, not for lack of not for lack of asking. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, and and uh, for those people that, and that I think really undercuts the idea that Durham in the Danchenko trial was trying to sort of run a narrative that you know he's trying to get information out to the public. Uh, through the obstruction of uh, Merrick Garland and the DOJ and was using sort of this sort of stupid charge that he had to put a narrative out there. Well, if, if, if that was his objective, then he would have put all these exhibits out on day one and without having to be asked. And the that, fact that, that he had... That, that's assuming he had control of that. You know, we we don't know the ins and outs of... But what he was what what he's being told, or you know, who's in control? Well, I guess I yeah, I guess I, I suppose we can't deduce from the fact that he could release it with Sussman. You know, maybe they said, "Oh, well, that was a disaster letting the Sussman exhibits out, so you're not going to let out the Denchenko exhibits." I guess that's possible. 
Um, but it, it also was a bit of stage managing too, because in, in some cases, the I think the exhibits stay within the court for a period of time, and the and there, there are two the two classes of exhibits. There are ones that were introduced in the trial, and ones that weren't. And in Sussman, we got both of them, or mostly both, or a lot of the ones that weren't. But in the Denchenko, we didn't even get the exhibits that were introduced into trial. I mean, it's just madness. Yeah, the, the response we got, it, the, the, the trial is still ongoing, but we were indicated we'd be able to get at least some or most of them, uh, and none of them came out. So take take that for what it's worth. I, I couldn't tell you anything why well, that would be aside from, you know, maybe there is some reason that they were withheld. Well, I've tried. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, um, Ivan, uh, Pentuchikov of, of Epic times had got, was the person who got the, the, um, Sussman exhibits and, uh, he tried hard in this one, but he got nowhere. Um, uh, can sorry, I just say, uh, yeah, I want to agree that, I mean, there, there, there needs to be a reckoning for this. This was the, like the worst thing of the century in politics, in my opinion. And I think everybody in here agrees, like just the worst dirty trick, the worst scandal, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's just it totally turned the country upside down. Um, you know, um, it, it totally exposed the deep state. It totally exposed the media. It just exposed everyone. And, um, but it's, you know, there's more needs to be exposed, obviously. And, um, you know, like you say about like Kleinsmith, like, um, you know, he, he had to have been, someone put him up to that. Like who would do that when they have to answer to, you know, superiors like that, unless it was like, like I try to, it reminds me of Twitter. Like, I don't know if it reminds you all of Twitter. Like, I don't think there was a conspiracy, like where people were overt about like, uh, you know, we're going to do this and do that to get Trump. It's just the, the 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 environment, just like at Twitter, where it's all anti-Trump, and it was anti-Trump there, and they were just they just went through like just something like I mean we we know they're like ninety-five percent you know libs, and it's like Trump wins, and they're totally traumatized, right? Like probably diagnosable PTSD, right? And they just all of them whenever something, and it was all handled by the seventh floor too, right? None of the stuff, from what I understand, ever like came up organically the way that it's supposed to from like field offices right it's like the seventh floor kept it out of everybody else's hands and then they you know when they anytime something came across somebody's desk they looked at it and they looked at it with the most you know just uh you know biased uh opinion and like anytime they could have any kind of all they need is plausible deniability right they could say oh i was having problems at home you know i don't know why i made that decision here oh yeah sorry i made a mistake you know whatever they can all say that pass it on to the next person's desk all kept in the seventh floor and and you know they, they all know what they're doing they all, they all know what each other are doing and they all know what the goal is. It's not hard to figure out, you know, and, and I mean, what, what, what's with the, what's with the stuff from Obama? What's with Struck's text? There were two text messages, right? One is one from page, one from Struck. One of them is White House is running everything and POTUS wants to know everything we're doing, right? Like, so, I mean, is there an innocent uh, explanation for that? Like what, like, is it anything else Struck could have been talking about in page in those messages like i i mean that's that's ultimately what it is is you always want to go as high up as you can because who who is directing all of this like if anybody you know like um 
were people, you know, was money involved, I guess, or people expecting things if they did things like, um, you know, I obviously wonder what Obama did, like, like knew and didn't know, because apparently he got this briefing from, you know, uh, his, his uh, CIA director and then like uh, way before it even happened. So he must have known as soon as this stuff started, you know, being communicated to him later on. You know, and the FBI gets the, the information from CIA. They know that Russia knows that Hillary's trying to do this trick. Like, it's just so ridiculous. But like I what, say, what? Yeah, how, how do you catch them? Yeah, I don't know if you're ever going to catch them. Just need to get the information out, like you guys are saying. Uh, you know, the repercussions are going to be political at this point, and they should pay the political price for it. And the FBI needs to be, you know, totally rethought. And, uh, you know, new procedures you know, just like have been done before, new procedures need to be implemented. And it's like, you know, like yeah. you're not going to nail them. You're going to get a gotta. Is it possible that Durham really was like, did he, did he think he was going to get convictions in DC? Like, come on. He didn't think he was going to, right. I know he's supposed to, and he's got to run them by Garland, I guess, but those were to get information, right? Like, tell me though, tell me he did all that mostly to get information for his report, right? Because he wants to blow up the whole thing, right? He wants to like expose as much as he can. That's what he would do if he was a smart man, right? Well, let me say this. All right. Durham in that sense is behind the eight ball. And I think, I think you hit a lot of nails on the head. And if you're going to get a conspiracy conviction, how are you going to do that? Unless somebody flips somebody that is in the room that can say, yeah, uh, this person, this person, this person. We all agreed to do this thing. When a lot of this stuff, these are sophisticated operators. They didn't even be told, you know, hey, look, do this, do that. I think a lot of, and, and I, I think there was some things that happened where there were absolutely like somebody said, hey, do this for this reason. But a lot of it's just, no, just, uh, you know what to do. I don't need to tell this person that this is what they need to do for the good of not the country, but our standing, our, you know, we, uh, Donald Trump should not be president. And therefore, you know, the resistance thing that is documented, it was being pushed. There were congressmen, there were, you know, politicians that were all over saying, yeah, the resistance exists. We are going to stop him any way possible at every turn. So you didn't need to tell people to do certain things. And that makes convicting them really impossible because you didn't have any overt. You have to have a commitment. You have to have at some point to get a, a, a conspiracy conviction in agreement. And that has to be, you know, something that actually happened, not just, I knew what the right thing to do was, so I did it. So that's not a conspiracy. So I see the problem here, unless you flip someone, unless you get them to say, I was in the room when this agreement happened, it's going to be really hard to get a conviction. So I I think that might be a a big problem for what Durham's been up to. And, uh, but as you say, that doesn't mean we can't all find out the truth and find out people were doing things that they knew were wrong and doing things that they knew were illegitimate. And maybe the best thing we can do is all find out about them. Hey, real quick, yeah, does anyone yeah. remember if uh, part of Kleinsmith's plea deal, he had to talk with uh, the Durham review team at the time? Yeah, I think he had the. I know he talked to the OIG, but I don't know if it was specifically that he had to talk to the. Because he wasn't in a criminal investigation at that time, or no, was, but um, I don't know if he had to cooperate. I don't know. I think he's supposed to, but it's a great point because that is, they had him dead to rights on the uh, uh, Moscow or Russia based. They never prosecuted him for saying he was Russia based. That was, I can't believe that. Like, I think if, 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 you know, given that 
you can't you're never going to nail these people in, in court right you're never going to get um any smoking guns like of conspiracy you know you i think you still want to go as high as you can to the top right just like you would do with prosecutions right you want to flip people get to the top i think durham wants to get to the top at least of, of knowing what was done even if but then again if he's not really looking at crimes is he allowed to look like can you look at the stuff obama said when technically obama isn't committing a crime he's just committing you know uh an abuse of power which isn't a crime Barr said that he was not going to be looking at obama and uh he that's also right did, he it's not it's not exactly what he hours. said he said you, he said he, he didn't say, expect yeah, the exactly. investigation to result in criminal charges for obama or, or something right, like that right. yeah he did, Dern did talk to Brennan for eight hours, though. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we also have to remember for future FOIAs that Durham also, during this time, took uh, under his wing, like, he uh, his investigation kind of, I don't know how you'd say it, it, it took over the those littler ones conducted by other U.S. attorneys that Barr spinned off. Um, I know the Clinton investigation, there was... Reports in New York Times that Durham has t- took over that one and took those files. So just for future FOIAs, this stuff should be in his uh, special counsel office, including the Bash one that we never saw anything about. Uh, I think we actually got some information on that, on the Bash one. We did? Yeah, it was something to the fact that he re- didn't really find anything. Um, I know because I, I heard that I read the Washington Post one. They say he didn't write a report. He just resigned. But I'll see if I can find it. it there's there's yeah. something out. Cool. I, I, I say that, like, you know, like, for this to really go down as well as it did, there might have been, you know, there could have been direction from the top, right? And, I mean, there's two text messages that, you know, one that for sure, like, there was a text message, correct me if I'm wrong, that says, you know, White House is running this. Wasn't there the text message that said that? Yeah, that's true, but I mean, you know. Yeah, White House is running this, and then look what happened. And Obama knew that this that that Hillary what Hillary was doing. I mean, what else do you need to know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously we they we, didn't follow up on the. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm just like it'd be nice to have people testify to it, but beyond that, I don't know how much we're going to learn about that. I say we just start doing what Hollywood does and make a TV series about the thing. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I I just do want to say that, you know, we're, we were originally talking about Congress switching hands and the Republicans taking over yep. and what they can do. Um, the Durham report, Durham is going to turn in his report. It goes to the AG. Uh, they have to inform Congress that this happened. That's going to, Whatever they deliver to Congress, whether it's everything or not, either way, if they withhold stuff, that's a big scandal. If they give everything, I assume that's going to be some red hot stuff that Durham has. That's going to be huge. And that's going to light a fire. And all the stuff we're talking about, you know, there's lots of things that Congress wants to look at. But this this committee that we originally started talking about, this church style committee is going to be in place, ready to go, jump on the stuff that Durham delivers to them. Or if if, if he's his report isn't allowed, they can call him. He can testify to them and they can just jump on it. They can get going. So. I, I I feel more hopeful now than I have in a long time because all this stuff is lining up and I think it can all happen. 
What about yeah. presidential communications? I don't know if it was somebody in this room, but I heard today that everything the president ever hears or communicates, you know, both ways he hears or says is, is recorded somewhere. Like from what I understand, like, uh, yes, there are stenographers on standby. Like even if, even if he speaks to a reporter, like I forgot who it was. Somebody wrote this up where even if he speaks to a reporter, if the president says it's off the record, there's actually a record of it. So even if the reporter's not allowed to take notes or record the conversation, there's actually a stenographer at the White House that actually writes down the conversation and records it. And then that's subject to, uh, like the Presidential Records Act. So that's eventually released. Yeah. So how many, how many transitions of power have there been in the history of the country? P- peaceful ones. Every single one of them until this one, right? Until 2016. And then it was like the complete opposite. It was sabotage. Yeah. Let's go to Elizabeth. You've had your hand up for a while. Thank you. Thanks for having me up. Uh, I have a question that I I really need to ask, and I totally understand if nobody wants to answer it, but it's something that I wonder about, and that is that all of you who – have doggedly pursued the truth on these matters, uh, including, you know, several of the people who are not here on stage. Um, Do you know, and I understand if you don't want to answer, but has anybody faced repercussions? Like, do you have like a new friend that wants to find out what you're doing? Or, I mean, I realize you're not in the government or anything, but um, you know, it's gotta be, you've gotta be a thorn in the side of, some of these people with all of the information that you've uncovered. Thanks. Undead, do you want to take this? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, so the question is whether we face repercussions for what, what we've done. Yeah. I mean, that would be something that I would <laughs> worry about personally, you know, I mean, other than being banned from Twitter, maybe, you know, but uh, it's just, it's just something that I would worry, worry about. And I realize, you know, you use uh, anonymity, which is great. But when, when you're dealing with the government, I don't know how good that is. So anyways, I know somebody, if you don't want to answer, that's fine. I know somebody who got fired uh, by a Fortune 500 company after working there for 10 years because their HR department thought that they might have been in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. But that's not, that's obviously not connected to Russiagate. But if that's, if that's any, uh, you know, consolation to, to your question that there, there definitely are, um, you know, monetary uh, consequences happening to people out there. <clears throat> I, I'm not sure about the other sleuths um, or to what extent. I, I've certainly gone through some stuff and, you know, one day I, I might write a book about it and uh, I'll certainly include some some of those anecdotes and, and some of the stuff that's gone on behind the scenes. But, um, yeah, I, I appreciate the the question and, uh, MB or Steve, I don't know if you guys want to jump in. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 I know ever since back in climate days that, that people have tried to figure out how to attack me, but I mean, I, it, it, if you don't work, for, you know, if you work independently or if you're, um, you know, you're, got your own money or you're retired, then it's harder to get at you. So uh, I haven't, I haven't suffered any consequences. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I've been I, I, pretty fortunate. I not that yeah, not, I, I, and I, the best advice I can give, and I think we all try, is not to say anything you don't. You know, couch everything with "this is what I think," "this is what things indicate," and don't make sure you don't besmirch, uh, besmirch anyone. Uh, say anything that is not defensible. That, but that goes for anything in life. I mean, do, do your best not to. Uh, accuse anyone of anything that is not a hundred percent ironclad. And even if it is, you know, just uh, channel the lawyer in you and, and do the best thing because it's, it's really, you, I think we could all agree and, and speak to this, that, you know, sometimes you have, you, you think things are a hundred percent in your mind and you find out, you know, actually that it, it seemed like this is an impossible coincidence, but sometimes it is. And, you know, putting somebody on blast like that and, you know, possibly, you know, incurring issues in their lives is not a good idea. And it's a, it's a horrible thing to do to someone. So I, I think it, it's just good to be careful. And unfortunately there are people out there that don't give a shit about that. And, and they're, they are bad actors and they probably will try to take you down. So, you know, don't do anything that you can't live with the consequences of and don't, you know, it, this, this is a tough business. Yeah. But then again, you only live once. Yeah. You only have one country. Sorry, um, I mean, like, yeah, actually, uh, but I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to talk about like, let's say, I mean, if you're talking about like liability, like if somebody worrying about somebody's going to sue you or something like that, I mean, is it the, the laws are like really, it's really hard to, you can't sue somebody for saying something, even if it's completely false, if they're talking about like a famous person or something and you're a nobody, right? From what I understand. Well, it's uh, tough because sometimes the cons, the, the punishment is the, 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 the process is the punishment. So do you want to deal with that and have to hire a lawyer and go through all these things? I mean, that, that's, that sucks. Okay, no, wants to have to do that. Let me put it this yeah. way. Let me put it this way. Obama is not an American citizen. Am I in trouble? <laughs> Time will tell. Obviously I, don't, obviously I don't believe that. I, I obviously that's, I'm just saying that to be provocative, but my, my point is, like, but I know what you're saying about if you have a job, you got to worry about your job, of course. Yeah, and and look, you can sue people. I mean, Michael Mann sued um, Mark Stein, uh, Rand Simberg, American Enterprise Institute, and National Review for libel in 2012, and it's actually nine. <clears throat> it's been in the courts for nine years, and it's coming to trial um, soon. And so, I mean, it it it's cost. It's cost the defendants hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yeah, I mean, and uh, and they haven't even got to trial yet. So yeah, these things uh, you can sue people. And uh, I agree with one one point that MB made, which is a, a very good one. And I would say that this is true for sort of most of the people in our corner of Twitter. Is just you know you don't say stupid stuff. You know you like you, you can cut out the extra adjective that gets you into trouble. You know, the whatever point you want to make, you can generally make it stronger by laying out the facts in a coherent basis and let people draw their own conclusions. You can lay them out in a very damning way so that there's only one conclusion to be drawn, but that if every fact in it is, um, but it, it's lathering on the editor, the extra adjectives about somebody being a fraud or somebody being a liar that gets you into trouble. You can, you can show that the person's a fraud by the facts and let other people draw their own conclusions. Yeah. There's, I mean, if you think about somebody like really powerful, trying to crush somebody really small for saying something really 
you know, in a really small corner of like nowhere, you know, like it's going to be pretty embarrassing for the person who's bringing a lawsuit like that. Right. If it's, if it's obviously frivolous, right. Well, I mean, the, I mean, Michael Mann sued, sued these people over a art, a blog article that probably, you know, a hundred people read. Yeah, and, and I mean, I agree that I I agree that you shouldn't libel yourself. But I think, far as I can tell, libel requires you to say something that's factually incorrect about somebody, right? I think the point is, do you, do you want to go to court to deal with that? Because if somebody has you know a bag of money, they can do whatever they want. They can make your life miserable and make you you know dig in your savings just to defend yourself on something that might be on its face ridiculous or not defensible. But it. You might have to, you know, if you if you go into this, you, you realize that that might happen to you, and but do the best you can not to do that to anyone. Not just because it's it's a bad thing to, you know, because you might get sued, because it's just wrong to do to someone. Just you know, have some humility and say these are where the facts seem to lead, and and couch your language. And I, th- I think that's just my best advice. Yeah, just in my in my opinion, like you say, I think one of you one of you said earlier that it's best to just kind of preface everything you say by saying, you know, in my opinion and, you know, just my lay opinion, um, you know, I think that the orders came from the top. Right. And, uh, you know, and you know, that's just my opinion. So how can somebody, you know, uh, who's going to be like, you know, come after me for clearly just expressing my opinion like that? So anyways, I, I was just curious about um, presidential privilege, privilege, executive privilege and all that. Like, um, it sounds like there's a record of everything that's 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 always said by presidents. Now, how hard is it to get that communication? Like, can, what, what falls under executive privilege and all that? Well, they can claim executive privilege on just about anything. So, um, like, I, I have a batch of FOIAs with Obama right now, and uh you know, it's kind of a slower process than typical FOIA even. And um, at some point, once they collect all the records, they they give him the option of asserting executive authority. And then that goes into waters that are somewhat uncharted. And, and I don't know if that's going to be the case for me, if, if I have to go to court to go seek some, some of those records, if they do exert executive privilege, because it's not just Obama. I think the sitting president will have an opportunity to, to assert executive privilege too. So, you know, I could be up against the department of justice um, if I, if I want to go litigate that, but um, generally like after five years of, of being out of office records start becoming subject to the presidential records act, as far as releases go. Um, I think it's another seven years after that, that they, they have broad um, quite a bit of deference, I guess would be the word to, um, you know, whatever they want to keep uh, keep locked up. And then after 12 years, though, I think they're supposed to be a little bit more of a broader um, give and take where they're, they're supposed to start releasing some more of those documents a little bit more freely. So I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, once they assert executive privilege on some of the documents I requested, maybe I'll be able to answer that a little bit better if I have to go to court for it. Uh, real quick, I think uh, I saw you on that tweet about this, and that's what got me thinking about it. Uh, Joffe, I think we all, ex- I think a lot of people expected him to be charged, but he dis- was told he was not. And uh, right now, he's you know in America, you're innocent until proven guilty. So, uh, you know, 
I thought uh, your tweet about it was very smart and just wanted to reiterate, uh, just know that because it kind of relates to this. So I don't know. Well, I, I mean, there's non-criminal abuses and, and mistakes happen and, you know, whatever you want to call yeah. it, that's less than a crime. I mean, there's still, there's still reason to look at things and, and who knows, I mean, you don't know what'll turn up. Um, yeah. You know, just because, you know, once Durham lost that case with Danchenko, I mean, it's going to be very hard for him to bring a case again against anybody. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what develops. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Joffe has sued Newstar now, uh, seeking $2.6 million to help have all his legal expenses paid for. Um, so that that's pretty interesting. That I'd be Once they unseal a little bit more of that docket, I'd like to dig through that and see what Joffe's arguing as far as his actions being on behalf of Newstar in the course of all this. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you still have people out there, and certainly the FBI and the CIA have had some pretty strong negative conclusions about the data and the, the allegations that were brought to them by um, Sussman, you know, given to him by, you know, Joffe or Dagan or whoever it is. Um, but, um, you know, independent people out there and, you know, I know who weaponized autism is and, and, you know, they have quite a resume themselves. So um, for weaponized autism to go out on a limb and say, yeah, they're fraud, you know, that what this, these allegations are is the product of fraud. I mean, that, that seems pretty strong. So I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what will happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. Probably should just leave it there, but one of the things, you know, uh, if uh, Judicial Watch got the 500 pages and yeah, so they're just holding on to it, like, yeah, because that's kind of scummy. I'm, I'm a little mad about that if they did get it. No, uh, it's not just so they had a couple of status updates in November and December and said they were on track for December 30th. Um, they did not give it over the documents on December 30th, and then there was just a status update yesterday. And okay. the Department of Justice told them January 10th, so that is All Tuesday. Right, so, so yeah, it's not it's not crazy. Um, so hopefully, yeah, keep pushing it back. Yeah, next week we should have the first production, a uh, couple hundred pages of documents from that. It's supposed to be 500, but we'll see. Cool. You looking forward to it? Uh, Miser, what's up? Hey guys, uh, just a couple of questions. Um, I did you happen to catch Cash Patel's pod uh, show last night? No, I did not. Was it good? It was very good, and both he and Jan were talking about the sluice, and they were they were mentioning that um, you guys really should get involved in the Twitter files and you know looking up the RussiaGate information, and I I guess I you know. Back in the day, <laughs> I used to be an analyst, and I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. Right now, I'm on info overload with this, but I, I, I do think if you guys can uh, look at those Twitter files, I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. Now, is that something that you think you could do rather quickly if you got access to those files? Yeah, uh, so that's a great question. We actually had a chat last week, I think it was, with Hans hosting and. Uh, Matt came into the chat and we, we know Matt pretty well. So um, we talked about that a little bit and Matt said he was kind of open to the idea. So that kind of opened the door a little bit and we'll see. We'll see if Matt wants to bring us in and, and kind of help him go through some of the documents that he's getting. Um, sounds like it's sort of a batch system where um, 
you know, it sounds like Matt's given some selectors or whatever you want to call them for requests for document production. And then uh, the Twitter people are actually just giving him just a massive amount of, of documents all at once for whatever search terms uh, he gives them. So um, he talked about he still has to do like Guccifer 2.0 and Russiagate stuff, especially. And, and that obviously that's kind of a natural tie in with um, our knowledge base. So we'll see. Um, he certainly doesn't have to bring us in, but um, we're excited for the, the possibility. Yeah, I, I, I would pursue that because uh, he, there's Jan and Cash who, like I said, they were talking about you in the show. Uh, it was, it was, his show was about 50 minutes long and I, you, you guys were mentioned maybe in the last 10 minutes or so. Um, and, and Lee Smith occasionally talks about you guys. So I would, I would actually just push that. I, I think that would be very good. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is, is not only am I on information overload, I mean, I really have a hard time following things now. And I, and I'm thinking, you know, I think these, um, these Congress people will have like, uh, <laughs> I don't think they're going to be able to follow. I don't know. Um, the, my, my recommendation, and I know this is really, really hard. It's, it's one of the hardest things to do is to create your elevator speech you know, for this whole topic, because this whole Russiagate thing has like, it's like, it's worse than a spider's web. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, it branches off in a thousand different directions. And it, I, I just think it's really hard to follow now. So I, I guess my only recommendation would be if, if you can create that elevator speech where you have to, you know, just succinctly tell a committee member why they need to go down this path and and i know it's really hard it's, it's really hard to do on this particular topic and um i think that's all i have to say i i would love to see you guys hit those twitter files though i think that would be great i want to see the undead foia banning twitter files <laughs> <laughs> oh oh yeah, yeah that's, that's the yeah, other thing you know there. i i shadow banned and i think i'm shadow banned because i was reached Miser, I think you cut out there. I think she was shadow banned. Shadow banned, and then then she was muted. What's up with that? <laughs> no, but I think she makes an outstanding point. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that that's something that we've been talking about and, and really need to work on. Is yep. yeah, just take and that that's why I I asked that question earlier. Like, what's the one thing that we need? What's this? What's that? Because I think that's what these guys need. Is like, look. Here's what, here's our recommendation of where you should start, what you need to ask for, because that'll open all this other stuff up. It's otherwise it's too much. There's just too many different directions and you wait, you know, everything just kind of floods out and you don't uh, find out the, you know, you never accomplish anything. It's so hard though. It's so hard to to boil it down to a, a short elevator speech. It's like, you know, you're on a very, very long elevator if you want to, get through everything that's important. It just, it's just really hard to boil down into a very succinct um, kind of pitch. Can I just say something along that lines there? It's also, there's a bunch of uh, sort of, what are they called? Um, false flags that came up like the Joseph Mifsud. I think everyone's in agreement here about that being a false flag, right? Everything to do with Joseph Mifsud. Oh, it's a no. false flag. It was just a, it was just a dead end. Yeah. There's nothing there. 
Right. Just because I remember watching, uh, you know, listening to Dan Bongino, and I just like, you know, I'm just worried now about how much like like the that last person said. I can't remember who it was. There, the uh, sounded like a female voice. Um, about the the web of information, and I'm like wondering like how much of this web now is in my head that's like false, like around this Mifsud stuff because I list a lot of the you know all that stuff that Papadopoulos lied about, right? Like, uh, in, in my opinion, right, that I think from my understanding wasn't accurate that Papadopoulos said. I have to make sure I watch my language, right? But um, I, ha- I have his book. I haven't actually read it because uh, luckily I kind of, like, listened to this corner before I wasted my time reading it. I don't know. Maybe there's some actually some good stuff in the book anyways. But, like, you know, how much of the things I've heard are actually false? You know what I mean? Like, about every, everything. Like, Bongino, I think, spent at least, like, you know, 25% of his time, from what I remember, talking about a bunch of, st- you know, and, and and Hannity and everybody. Like, think of how many times they talked about how curious it was, this Maltese professor and everything in that whole direction now. Like, I'm wondering how much of that all, like... Is it, was he a came in Cambridge a lecturer or something like that? And they're just like all the different connections over there now. Like, I'm like, how much of that is, is I can't even get it straight in my own head now is my point. And I mean, I don't understand nearly the level that, that you guys do, but it's like, um, man, like I, uh, I was really disappointed when I, um, found out that a lot of what I was listening to is kind of, it kind of reminded me now of the whole, uh, I hope there's no QAnon people in here, but the whole QAnon thing and all the, you know, how, how much how much time people spent on that before the election you know like a totally just a brilliant idea whoever came up with that like obviously on the left and put that out there for all the people to bite you know all the people on the right to bite into and and like put all their energy into and they just totally drowned out the the legitimate stuff that people should have been questioning before the election um you know everyone's talking about voting machines and everything and they went all crazy who knows how much of like uh january 6 was because of that you know, like a, a total misinformation. Like this is this kind of crap that that makes the world go round. That's like that's what that's how that that's what the Maidan coup was. That's what everything was. Like all these different things, all this every war. I, I heard someone say every war like started because of false information, like in the media. You know, and so just the just the whole like I say the um it reminds me of the Q thing, like the fake information. This whole like now that there's this Mifsud stuff, and I don't even know how much like all the names like Bonchino says really important to remember the names that's if you ever watch bongino he's like remember the names and i'm like how many of these names in my head are ones i shouldn't have remembered you know because they were totally false flags yeah and and i mean that's tough because i think even papadopoulos i i don't think he was necessarily intending to be wrong i think he was trying to reconcile a really emotional time in his life with uh you know, the broader context. And, and maybe that was his best attempt at, at making sense of it. And he made a mistake. Right. What's that? The, the FBI might've been steering him, right. They might've wanted him to say something. Yeah. I think, I think there's probably a clear instance where, um, you know, the FBI was looking to hear something and his life would have gotten quite a bit easier if he would just told them. And, um, you know, that's a tough situation. You know, those legal legal expenses run up really really fast, and and that's just a tough spot. So I don't want to be too harsh on him for that. I mean, he's certainly been through the ringer. Um, how, how do we know the FBI wasn't just like didn't put that stuff in his head or just wait for him to say it? And they said like you know encouraged him to go with that, and then 
you know, it, he went out and told to everybody. And like, the more he said that on TV, the happier they were. I mean, like, uh, maybe they were putting him up to it. Like, I don't know if they he had to say it, but like, you know, like, uh, I just don't, uh, I don't trust him because he was sell- he was like he was like making a living off of like telling lies like afterwards like he can lie to the, the the FBI if they wanted him to if they wanted him to lie to them but then he comes out and he's trying to make a lot of money off of like he told lots of lies in public on on Hannity did he not? Well, it's not. I mean, I wouldn't really say they're lies. They're just you know, like he really believes those things. You think? I I don't know. And we we spent so much time about Papadopoulos. I mean. That, that's sort of the big frustration, broadly speaking, is that, you know, we do sp- spend so much time talking about Papadopoulos or, um, you know, these different avenues. And, and some of them are, are false. Some of them are, are just non-substantive. And, you know, we spend so much time on that. And then some of the more recent stuff, especially stuff we've discovered in the last year, doesn't get nearly the same amount of attention, even today. Like, I, you know, I feel a lot of questions and, and today I still get a lot of the questions I receive are still about Papadopoulos. And it's like over the last year, I've gotten so much information and, and it's still, you know, Papadopoulos is still like 30 or 40% of the questions I get. And there's been nothing new on that for like six years. And it's been pretty clear that like the missuit angle, there's really nothing there ever since we got the, like the page or page and a half, uh, 302 for missuit. And it was clear, like the FBI did not even see this guy as a player. Like, based on the very, very limited questioning the FBI did the missuit, like they knew, they knew this guy was a nobody. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, there's just so many stuff. names. Like now, I want to, I want to figure out which names that I was supposed to remember that I actually shouldn't remember. Like, I have these names in my head. Like, is Deripaska important in anything? Yeah. No, he killed- oh, no. Yeah. There'll Listen, be something there. Yeah. Remember what, what, them all. They all come <laughs> back up. This is the way this game works. What about is there someone is there someone named I got this name in my head. I don't think I have it right. It's like Rene Achmenchen. Who's that? Uh like something oh, Achmenchen. He was a yeah. was he an Asian? Or... <laughs> what yeah, the hell that was is some of the very early allegations that really didn't yeah. amount to much. That was like, you know, Trump was involved in various <laughs> That was one of the. That was one of the. That was one of the. Remember the names. Yeah, yeah no, he, I, he, he, you can forget he, that. He was one. A, I don't want to besmirch a, Dan Bongino. He's awesome. I love Dan Bongino. By the way, Bongino's great. Yeah. Hey, Willie. Willie's here. Yes. What's up, Willie? Uh, I've it to whatever Dutch Turkish guy involved in some deals, a bit like Milian, um, and had his name besmirched. Um, <laughs> nothing came out of it, although. He doesn't think he can get back into the U.S. for some reason, so, uh, but that sort of died a death. And so, who's Azra Turk then? Anyone? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, probably a nobody. I mean, I I wouldn't <laughs> worry about it too much. I thought she was everything before. Like I thought that everything was going to hinge on on Azra Turk. Well, and, and see, like by the same token, I wouldn't be hard on Bongino at all because Bongino's no, the I'm best not. he can to report the best information that he has at the time. And and to that end, it's extremely important to keep this in the public conversation and keep people talking about this stuff. And, and you know, if that wasn't the case, like if if I didn't stumble across Fool Nelson and some of these guys talking about this stuff on Twitter, I would have never started looking at any of this stuff. So it, it's really important to encourage the conversation the public conversation. And I see a lot, and I'm not saying that you are, I see a lot of people out there that are bashing 
Bongino about, no, I'm not oh, Bongino. you know, Derm hasn't delivered and all this stuff. And, and I'm sure he's sick of that, but it's, it's so unfair to him because he's going off the best information he has. He's doing a, you know, it's not just for a show. I mean, I think it's a public service, what he's done and, and keeping this out there and, and reporting on it. And, you know, if you pick up his books, his books are outstanding. His books are some of the best research that, it, that is out there because he cites everything. You know, there, there's nothing in his books that he's just making up. There's no, um, you know, speculation in there. He's, he's citing story to story. I don't know. There's probably like 500 different citations in those books. And, and that's what I really like about Bongino. So, um, yeah, no, no, I I'm not totally saying you're let, bashing him, but I'm just saying, like, I, I if there's anybody yeah. in this chat that is, like, no, no, like, no, no, I, no, 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 I said right away, I said it was because of what Papadopoulos said that sent Bongino off in that. And it's not at all Bongino's fault. He, he, everybody was running with, with what the stuff Papadopoulos was saying. And, and another thing, like, yeah, anyways, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I was just, it was just the, and, and like I say, I don't know, maybe Papadopoulos is a great guy too. And I, I don't know what, what he was, uh, you know, how, how much he had the screws put, you know, turned into him like to, you know. Yep. So anyway, well, it's uh, it's been a, good a lot set, of names. Guys. It's just the names is the thing, though. It's like uh, you got to get the names straight that for the players, right? Like, and 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 it's just some of them shouldn't be in there because they're not actually players any you know anymore. Just false uh, leads or whatever. Yeah, that's all I was trying to say. No, I gotcha. And B, do you have anything else? I I might wrap up here. All right. Hey, uh, Willie, go ahead. Yeah, just one last thought before we, we go away. Um, I know you want to wrap up about two hours in. Yep. The church committee-ish, the newish church committee, uh, the whole point of Congress is to look at stuff that they can make legislature about or uh, legislative things about. So thinking about maybe what uh what's the outcome of this so yeah we, i would love to see all the documents like unredacted and fill in the blanks um from like from these last four years but going forward it's like what is the one thing that um they could legislate that they could like Budget, like, like the FBI, how, you know, the FBI getting involved with Twitter or the FBI uh, interfering in in 2016. The, the outcome of this whole churchish committee thing surely has to be some legislation, um, and yeah. and and even even if you know they've they have legislation already, but there's that second bit about what is what is stopping, you know, the FBI breaking the law, which they've done, probably. I probably as my, uh, my lawyer in the background saying that. Um, no, we have the, the 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 laws, but how are they getting round? Like, how are they? escaping this to influence elections or you know to you know what division does stopping foreign election interference mean 
um, getting Twitter to violate First Amendment. I, I think that's the the big thing, and it it all goes back to Russia Gate and this investigation, and, and it goes back a long way. It's like this counterintelligence thing, you know. But if you go back to the the fifties and sixties, there was a serious worry about the next president um, in the Cold War being an actual Manchurian candidate, being somebody who was was controlled by Russia. You know, the, the sort of 1960s, this whole communist versus capitalist, uh, who wins that? And, and that's not changed. It's, it's just changed in a slightly more nuanced way. And so the, the FBI... They do have this counterintelligence function to stop interference, to stop Manchurian candidates, etc. But where are those limits like delineated? How can Congress uh, like oversee that, and what laws might or might not be needed to supervise that? It's so. But going back to the Pfizer warrants, Pfizer was, <clears throat> you know, we, we saw them come up with, with uh, like sketchy, uh, searchy type warrants, and not really warrants, but um, you know, the, the sketchy Pfizer in, in twenty sixteen. That was set up as a legitimate counterintelligence function. And and a need to know basis, which probably got abused. Um, one of our sort of in our corner, but in Congress type people, Devon Noons, when when it got through to like renewing the Fisk, the the, the Pfizer court, um, allow that to happen because they understood that counterintelligence function of them. It's obviously been abused, um, and the route round through the private sector's probably been abused. Um, what is the end game for this select committee? Um, what what legislation? Eh? No, I, I think that's a really good point, William. I, my, that's why I say. I think we're finally at a point where we have to ask the question, have the discussion. Are we doing more harm than good with our counterintelligence work? Um, and I know that that's a hard question. Nobody wants Al Qaeda running wild. Nobody wants the Russians, the Chinese, anyone like that. But we have to ask the question, is more damage being done by our intelligence community than protection they're providing our country? And I, I guess that's my last uh, last thing uh, on that. Yeah, MB, Willie, those are good points. I mean, uh, you know, one thing I, I've been thinking about legislatively, data privacy law. And, and MB, we've talked about that on previous spaces where it's like, you know, all this DNS activity out there is being data mined and all this stuff, you know, even related to, to Russiagate and, you know, the executive office, you know, data, whatever they were doing with Trump's data and the Yodafone allegations and the Alpha Bank allegations, all these data streams you know, all that should have been subject to a warrant. Like you should have a very good trail about 
who accessed that data and it should be kept under wraps. I mean, there's no reason that, you know, given the advanced state of tools today, you know, the protections are very limited. I mean, you can, you can say, you know, if you're a telecommunications company, you can say, well, yeah, you know, we, we share some very limited anonymized, you know, data to, for research purposes or whatever, but it's like, okay, well, if you give it to the government, they have the tools to take away our anonymity based on, you know, various, you know, algorithms and whatever else they're doing to associate that with an identity. I mean, that's what they're using the data for. They're not just playing around with it. And, and if they can do that, then, you know, you can't, you can't just be releasing your customer data and, and uh, you can't be selling it. Um, you know, we have a right to privacy. We have an expectation of privacy with our data and what we're doing online. And, um, you know, it should, that, that should be a big goal legislatively. I, I would agree wholeheartedly with, you know, taking another look at the counterintelligence mission of the FBI because, you know, they're supposed to be the, the Bureau of Investigations and those investigations were supposed to be like predicated. And once you enter into a counterintelligence mission, predication becomes very, very minimal. I mean, you just have to say, well, there's some intelligence value there and you can open a case file and then, yeah, you can violate, violate the shit out of somebody and then eventually come across something that's criminal and then refer it over. And then you have a case file already ready to go. And, and that's not right. Like that's not the system that we, we signed up for. And I certainly never thought it'd be like this. I mean, I, I was the first person, you know, back September 11th and, and, and ensuing years, you know, Ron Paul and Rand Paul, they were both talking about privacy rights and they were both talking about the Patriot Act and all this stuff. And, and I don't know to what extent these programs exist under that authority or just, you know, other authority or, or not at all. But yeah, we, we need to take a hard look at that. I mean, are we really, you know, is it worth trading off, you know, all these abuses against our own country domestically for what we're, whatever protection we gain from terrorists? And it's like, okay, we just gave Afghanistan back to the terrorists. So it's like, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, are we, I, I don't know. I don't know. So, so one of the things like people are saying, oh, just like ban the FBI or, like just like do it as JFK and whatever into the wind, but is I'm not sure that it doesn't need to be split into two things with the counterintelligence mission um, and and the the criminal thing and, and then split them. I, I, that might be a legislative end game, so that they. Yeah, they have this protection, or they they can act on intelligence, which is counterintelligence. But the, the sort of uh, the then weaponizing that through the lawfare, it, that, that that sort of but those two missions have sort of melded somehow. And I know they say, "Oh, we keep them separate," but they obviously don't because it's it, you you you. You're asking questions when they say, "Oh, that's sources and methods," but and that's sources and methods are are, are definitely a counterintelligence-like function rather than an investigative uh, criminal function. And and I think the the Congress they have a problem because at the moment the way that FBI is structured and the other 
16 intelligence agencies is they can just go, oh, that's classified. But it, but it's, but is it? And, and this over-classification thing's a, a problem. Um, we're, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're probably not going to see most of this new church inquiry. Uh, I think it was Thomas Massey was on Tucker yesterday or something saying, yeah, well, it's going to be in a skiff. Um, and it's and and a, a lot of Congress think that that's a good idea. I, I think it's a good idea. We discussed this earlier, or it was discussed earlier. But it's probably not going to be grandstanding about, oh, I'm I'm the, the representative from Iowa, blah, 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 to get more votes and to get more funding. It, it hopefully will be better, more focused um, than than the original church committee. Um, but it, it's what do you want out of it? Do you do you want uh, yeah? What do you want out of it? What's what's the end goal? What's the legislative end goal? Um, and once you've done the legislation, how do you, how does Congress then hold these agencies to account? Because they come up and 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 they can just hide behind this anonymity, which the average American person doesn't have. Um, of oh, I, I can't I can't say because it's classified, and I think that needs to change. Yeah, Willie, I mean, I was looking at the church committee a little bit, at least on Wikipedia and a couple of reports. And, and one of the things that they did was, you know, when the president at the time said, no, all this information we want to remain classified, the committee decided they would just unilaterally declassify it. So that that's pretty amazing. And, and it's hard to envision that happening today. But um, I think the committee should strongly consider, you know, seizing that authority. I mean, however they did it. Um, without any anything bad happening back in 1975, they should do the same thing. Um, they should have unilateral declassification authority, and they should just go ahead and do it over the objection of, of the president. And, um, yeah, I mean, at the same time, I, I think reforms to FOIA would be great. I think we need to consolidate the FOIA systems and um, do a major overhaul of that whole system to make that a whole lot easier, too. So um, good chat. Uh, it's been a long day. We've got a lot going on, but I appreciate everybody stopping in today. Um, I think I'm going to end the chat here. Probably we'll do a couple more chats here in the future, but um, I thought that was a good exercise to kind of collect some ideas, especially, you know, to, to any extent that, that members of Congress might follow us on Twitter or um, read what we write at all. I, I think it'd be good if we can try to push a few ideas and, and, you know, hopefully they know everything we know and, and they're on top of it. But, um, you know, I can't, you know, hold it against them. I mean, there's so much information here and it's hard to process it all. And it's hard to, you know, it's hard to pick out the people that have, you know, legitimate insight and, and a basis behind their ideas from, you know, some people, quite frankly, that are a little bit more on the QAnon side and they're a little bit further out there. And, and sometimes, you know, it's hard to differentiate them on the face of some of the stuff that's that's said, but, um, you know, we have a really good core of researchers in this corner and, um, you know, I appreciate, you know, Cash and, and Jan sh shouting us out. Um, obviously, you know, some of those relationships are, are great and we appreciate that. 
And um, yeah, I'm 